Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. Hey, it's good to see you this morning. Glad you guys are all here. Glad we could be here together worshiping the Lord. And, and uh, hey, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wish I could actually have him here, but I can't. So I'm just going to uh, kind of uh, do it, I guess, just by, by reputation, maybe, by illustration. But uh, it's a friend of mine. His name is Omar. Omar Acosta. And Omar is from Panama. And Omar grew up in the streets of Panama City. And uh, he, uh, he literally was abandoned by his family and, and several other things that happened in his life um, because of poverty. Not that his family actually couldn't, wasn't around. They literally couldn't take care of him. And so as he ran around and just kind of took care of himself, he found a safe haven in this organization that had a, a gym. And that organization was called the YMCA. And at that time, they were still a Christian organization. And they taught about God and who he was. And they taught about his great love. And they taught about his goodness. And they taught about how he very much wanted to help all the children. And so they would let Omar come in. And and at first, Omar didn't know that they knew he was there. And so Omar would come in there every day. And he would take a shower and get cleaned up and things like that. And, and, and while he was in there, he would start working out, and he watched the older guys work out, and, and then he saw they had some boxing stuff, so he started doing a little bit of that, and suddenly one of the, the, the trainers and the mentors there, they kind of came alongside of him and said, Omar, are you ready to get off the streets? Said, yes, sir. So he took him in and began to just pour love into Omar and just love him and take care of him. And they taught Omar some of the most amazing things about boxing and about working out and about wrestling. And Omar had this dream that he wanted to be a a WWE wrestler. That was his dream, living on the streets of Panama. And and I guess, I I didn't understand this until he shared it with me, but in Latin America, that the whole wrestling scene is huge. And it's, um, it's not just like the big arenas. They'll do it in like backyards and different places. And they have people that travel through, throughout Latin America and, and a, a lot of more masks and you don't know who they are. And so he had a whole costume and a whole getup that he came up with and a whole persona that he was going to be and everything else. And so that was Omar and Omar's dreams. Omar actually ended up coming to the United States and uh, and then he went back and forth between Latin America and the United States, and he actually lived out that dream. And he traveled around on a circuit being a, a crazy WWE-type wrestler. And then some of these guys at the YMCA also uh, taught him Taekwondo. And then as he became a, a multiple-degree black belt in Taekwondo, he said, you know what I really want to do? I really want to train people. I want to teach people. I want to be what these guys were to me. I want to encourage people. I want to speak life into them because life was spoken into me. There was, there was words that were spoken into my life before I ever became that person because I was on a one-way track to someplace you don't want to be. And so uh, Omar did exactly that. He became a trainer and uh, he was a bodybuilder and all sorts of other things. And uh, I had a gym in my house when we lived in Colorado and I met Omar because he went to our church. And Omar once a week would come over to our house and he would work out. 
And uh, we would go down in the basement, sometimes with some other football, some football players from the high school I coached, and just different people, and we would just work out. But here was the thing. You're like, okay, why are you telling me all this? Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I just got, I, he would walk into my house, and I had these two little guys running around, my two sons. And at that time, they were, they were uh, somewhere about uh, um, maybe, maybe six and eight, you know, nine and 11, something like that. And he would walk in, and he would say this. He would look at my son, Tim. He goes, Tim! You are champion of the world. And Tim would look at him like, huh? what did he say, Dad? I said, he said, you're a champion of the world. And then he would look at my little son, Daniel, because Daniel would come running up, and, and Daniel kind of had this big chest. He's like, mm, I'm ready. Say it about me. Say it about me. And he's like, Daniel, you too. You are champion of the world. And I just couldn't figure out how they could both be champions, but I didn't, I didn't bring that up. And, and so, but he would say that every time he walked in. And then the boys would go downstairs and work out with us. And Omar, no, no matter what, there would always be a moment where Omar would throw him on one of our, our, our weight benches or machines or something like that. And he would put like, like really just like no weight on there at all. And then we would help him, but they didn't know we were helping him. He goes, look at you. You're already on your way to being champion of the world. Because that's who you are. And he would get real close to me. He goes, don't you forget it. And that was it. And we would work out and he'd go back on his business. I'd go about my business. And it just reminded me this morning of our good, good, good father, that he says the same thing to us. He may not declare us as champion of the world, but he identifies us. He identifies us. We just sang song after song after song about some of the identifications that he has given us, some of the ways that he has called us a name. He has spoken the truth over us and declared what our lives will become because of him. Let me remind us real quick, because we're in this series just called, it's a quick series, it's about, it will be over next week, and we just want to look at a few of the characteristics about a good, good God. Let me just share these, these quick passages with you. Psalms 33, 5 says, He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Psalm 104 and 5, we read that last week. It says, Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And in Psalm 31, 19 through 20, it says this. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you. In the presence of the sons of men, you shall hide them in the secret place, your presence from the plots of man. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. It's saying how good is God and he will hem you in and protect you from the things that will still come your way, but he will protect your heart and your soul because he is a good God. Last week when we introduced this idea, well, we didn't introduce it. We began talking about it because God is good. We don't introduce that idea. But as we began talking about the goodness of God, here's what we said. We said that he was, he has a love that is absolutely amazing. And that because of that love and it drives him, and it, it, dri it drives him to love us that he is merciful and forgiving. He is merciful and forgiving to us when we walk away from him, when we walk astray from him, when we look at him and we say, no, not your way, but my way. He is merciful 
and forgiving. When there was no way to have a relationship with him, he gave us Christ, who lived a perfect life, one that was without sin, one that joined us together with the Father again, made a unity for all those who would believe in him and wanted unity with the Father. If you don't want it, you got to walk away. If you don't want it, then, then you can go and, and do your own thing for sure. But our good, gracious, merciful Father said, I want there to always be a way for us to be unified again. And I will sacrifice my son to pay the debts and the sins of my people. That we would together, we would be able to be together again. And his love drove him to do that. One of the most recited verses in all of scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever shall believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's repeated so many times that sometimes we don't even think about the meaning of it. That he gave his son so that we could be united with the father. And what drove him to give his son? His love for us caused him to sacrifice his son on our behalf. His love causes him to be merciful and forgiving. He transforms us into everything new. He transforms us into the image that he is teaching us to live by. He's transforming us into the image of Christ. And we're going to spend some more time today talking about the goodness of a God that transforms us. And then we, at the very end of the day last Sunday, we looked at the fact that his amazing love is unending. It's unyielding. And it, always, it is always faithful. We can get to these places where we feel like we've been striving, but we don't really measure up. We can get to these places where we feel like we've done it all wrong or all backwards. We can get to these places where we've fallen a hundred times. We said, can God really love me? And yes, because that merciful, forgiving grace that we talked about, it continues through the totality of our life. It continues on in to the next life for all those who believe in him. And when we unite with Christ, we are in this unending, unseparable relationship with the Holy Father. He made sure of that for us. So that's what we talked about last week. This week, I want to talk about this. That this good, amazing, holy God identifies us. So much bigger than big old Omar Costa. So much more magnificent, so much, so much more perfect and righteous and holy. And listen, I just got to be honest. No matter how many times Omar told my boys they'd be champions of the world, they're not. They're not. Now, I don't know if one day maybe they'll do something, they'll wind up in some place and they'll be doing something that whatever it was made them a champion of that little part of the world. I don't know. But currently, right now, they're just like you and I, and we're lucky when we can make it through the, the last day and get to the end and go, well, that was, that was a decent race. I don't know if I'm a champion today, but that was a decent race. But when the Lord says something, it always comes to pass. When the Lord says something, he says it because it is. When he calls us something, he says it's because we are, and he will teach us how to live in that truth. When he says that we are this or are that, we're not waiting 
to become that. We are. And he is teaching us how to live in the truth of that. This transforming truth. You see, he loves us so much and he is so good that he calls us, he declares us, and he transforms us. Let me, let, me, let me unpack that for a quick second. He calls us to himself, and we see it all throughout Scripture. He's calling people. He's calling individuals. He's calling groups of people. He's calling a nation to himself. Believe in me and follow me. Uh, surrender yourselves. Surrender your own ambitions. Surrender the worship of yourself. Believe in me and follow me. I will be your God and you will be my people. He calls us. And then he declares promises over each one of us. He declares who we will be. He declares what our life will be about. He declares who we are. And then he transforms us into that image. He calls them to himself to believe in him and to follow him. But he doesn't leave us the way we are. He declares who and what we are, and then he transforms us into that truth. You see that? Are we, are we following each other there? This is what happens, and it's so important. Because if we don't believe that this is what God is doing, this good and amazing God, then we're going to be stuck on this hamster wheel trying to become what we want to become, trying to look at Scripture and understanding that, okay, well, I think God wants me to be this, and so we're going to work really hard at becoming this image that we think God wants us to do when he actually declares who you are and he says, follow me and I will train you how to live in that truth rather than you having to have all the tools to become that truth. It already is. And I'm going to teach you how to live in it. Be obedient and follow me. And then we know this from scripture for blessing follows obedience. And what is blessing? Blessing is presence of God in our lives, closeness and intimacy with God. And the more intimate we are with God, the more we understand who we are and the greater we become what we're to be. Now, I know that's a lot out here, but we're going to get into some details. But I thought it was important for us to look at a, at a couple quick examples of how this lives out. And I think scripture is, is, <clears throat> is brilliant when we see some of the ways that God declares things. And some of the simplistic ways that we can see this is when he changes one name to another name. When he changes somebody from one name to another name, he most often does that to declare who they will learn to be. So in other words, the truth that they will learn to live out about themselves. He will declare something that he is doing in their life or he will declare an identity that they are now and then he will teach them, and he does that by giving them a new name. Let's look at two people to start with, Abraham and Sarah. We first encountered them in Genesis chapter 12, and their names are Abram and Sarai. Abram and Sarai. And that's their name. And they're giving this amazing, this brilliant, this beautiful covenant. And, and the Lord calls Abram and, and Sarai, and he says, I want you to leave your land the land you've known for 75 years and you've acquired and you've lived in and you've ruled over and everything else. I want you to leave that land and I want you to follow me to a new land that I'm going to give you and your ancestors. And I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. <laughs> and, and he literally says, um, oh, oh, time out, God, time out. Here's the deal. Uh, I don't have any kids. I can't become the father of a great nation. 
Is this one of those things where you're just kind of joking around and you know you call a tall guy shorty? <laughs> what, what are we doing here? Because I don't have any kids, so I can't become a father. My wife doesn't have any children. She can't become the mother of a, of a great nation of many descendants, more vast than the sands on the seashore. I can't, I, I can't become that. And he's right. Look, Abram and Sarah, they didn't need a biology lesson. They knew where babies came from. They were working on it. They were putting forth effort. They were, it wasn't like they weren't trying. There were no babies. <laughs> Isn't that just like what God does? He declares something over us about who we are that we have no control to make happen. That the only way that it can be brought about is when he brings it about in our life so that his glory is on display. And the whole world will be drawn to him and the truth of who he is and the power of who he is and the way he changes lives in an instant. Well, that was at age 75. At age 99, the Lord shows back up again. They've had lots of interaction between this time. And this is what he says. Read it with me it's in Genesis 17. It says this. In Genesis 17, starting in verses 1 and 2. Then we're going to jump down to verses 4 and 7. And then we're going to jump down to verses 15 and 16 just for time today. When Abram was 99 years old, 99 years old. That's 25 years after this promise was given to him. He was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. The call and the declaration. As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come of you, will come from you. I will establish my covenant, an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. God also said to Abraham, as for your wife, Sarah, as for Sarah, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarah. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Interestingly enough is that they actually try to take that promise, manipulate it themselves. Sarai gave her attendant to Abraham to have a baby because surely God wouldn't keep his promise. Or maybe this is how God intended to keep his promise, so we'll just help him bring about what's supposed to be brought about in our lives. And his name was Ishmael. And today we still have the remnants and the ramifications of Ishmael and Isaac. All those who follow Yahweh in the covenant with Abraham, go through Isaac, which is where we get Judaism, and it's where we get Christianity. Christ comes through the line of Isaac, where we end up with salvation. Ishmael is where we get Islam. And through the line of Abraham, yes, but then also Muhammad and other prophets, and the battle between the true blessing and the true covenant has been in existence ever since that day. You see, 
God declares, he calls, he declares, and he will transform. He doesn't say you have to do it. He says you have to follow me. Remember what it said up in the very beginning? He says, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. He just wants us to walk with him, to let him do the amazing work in our lives, to bring about the promises that he's declared. So, but it took 25 years. He declared that he would be the father. He called him Abraham, the father of many. He declared that that's who he would be, although he didn't experience the fulfillment of that promise for up to 25 years. Sometimes I think that can be a little elusive, 25 years. So I did a little count words back, and, and that would be 1994. Didn't know if you knew that or not. But 25 years from today would be 1994. I don't know what you were doing in 1994. I had been married for two years. Eh, that was about the end of it. It was pretty dumb and crazy, and my wife was trying to teach me and train me to be a husband. That was my life. What were you doing in 1994? Well, let me tell you some things about the, the, the year 1994. You ready? The zip drive was introduced. What? The zip drive. Some of you don't even know what a zip drive is. Okay. Netscape was the number one browser. Some of you don't know what that is either. Gotcha. Okay. Boys to Men had the number one hit of the year. I'm not going to say what it was. Forrest Gump and The Lion King were the number one movies of that year. Redskins fans, the Cowboys won the Super Bowl that year. Two years before, the Redskins won, but not that year, sorry. The Houston Rockets won the NBA Finals. The New York Rangers won the Stanley Cup. But there was no major league champions that year because it was the year of the baseball strike. Time Magazine Man of the Year was Pope John Paul II. And you ready for this? The quote of the year. Anybody know what it is? No? Oh, come on. You probably still say it today. Okay, I'll just say. Mama always said, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Number one quote of the year. We were a profound people in 1994. <clears throat> now wait for it, wait for it. The last one might be the best. Are you ready? Because some of you still have this in your cupboards. I just know it. You ready? 1994, the George Foreman Grill was released. Woo, come on, a culinary masterpiece. <laughs> George Foreman Grill. 25 years he lived under the truth of the promise without experiencing it, but God was transforming him and bringing him about, bringing him through the different circumstances of his life and Sarah through the different circumstances of her life. He declared who they were. He declared what he was going to do and he brought them to the place where Isaac was born. But there's more stories like that. But one of my favorite has to be Simon Peter. Let's read about him in Matthew 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Oh, they replied. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Well, let's stop right there. There's the call. There's the call. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? 
Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say the Lord Almighty is? Who do you say he is? There's the call. Do you believe in him? Do you trust him? Is he the Lord of your life? Is he God Almighty? Is he the Messiah that came to save? Is he the one that we're to follow? Is he the one that defines life? Who do you say he is? I sat with the, next to a young lady on a plane on the way home last night from uh, the West Coast. And uh, just so happened there was two empty seats next to her and we were all crammed in. There were the last two empty seats on the plane. I go, hey, do you mind sharing? Because I'd love some room to spread out. She goes, absolutely. She moved over and we sat there and we asked a few questions of each other and I thought that was going to be the end of it. And then she, uh, she talked about her profession. It was a pretty interesting profession. She goes, what do you do? I'm like, okay, here it goes. I'm a pastor. You're a pastor? I'm an agnostic. You are? Okay. Talk a little bit more, talk a little bit more. She goes, how'd you come to this whole Jesus pastor thing anyways? I'm like, well, you know a lot about Jesus. How'd you not come to the Jesus thing? We began to just talk and share life. And I shared my testimony. She shared her testimony. We just talked about life and who we were and different things like that. You know what it came down to? It came down to she didn't, she didn't believe the promises of God. When it came right down to it, she, Jesus is a good man. When it came right down to it, there is a God out there somewhere, but not involved in her life. When it came right down to it, she didn't want to surrender her life to the living God. When it came right down to it, it was as if Jesus was literally standing there and saying, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? It's the call, and we're all, we all experience the call. That was an amazing conversation. I don't want to say her name because it actually she's from the area, or at least reasonably close to the area, and I hope to continue that my wife and I will be able to continue a relationship with her. We exchanged information, and I'm going to keep praying for her, and I hope we're going to be able to dive into some further conversations. So I don't want to say her name, but would you just know I sat next to somebody that the Lord absolutely ordained, and would you pray for that somebody? Would you, the Lord knows who she is. She knows, he knows the whole conversation. He had it well designed and well thought out and everything else because suddenly she started sharing some really intimate details about her life. And she goes, what do you think God says about that? What do you think he says about this? I'm like, oh, oh I know. Let's talk. Because the Lord in that moment is saying, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And he says, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. This was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that I tell you that you are Peter. He changes his name from Simon to you are Peter. And on this rock, which means rock, right? And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I, I, will, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Some people believe this, this transaction, this interaction took place on this, on this overlook of this incredible, ridiculous place of sacrificial, ritual, sexual worship of a false pagan God. And that they would work themselves up into a fervor and they would, they would have this sexual sacrifice that would take place so that the God of the depths of the sea would rise up and bless them. And, and, and it's in this moment, if they're correct, and we don't know if they're correct, but it's in this moment that Jesus would have looked at Simon and said, hey, hey, who do you say I am? Because right now, they're calling somebody else a God and their lives are going to be destroyed. Who do you say I am? And he told him. And he said, that's right, because that rock won't prevail. But Peter, you're going to take this message. You're going to declare this truth. And Hades will not prevail. Hell will not prevail 
Satan will not prevail. Evil will not prevail. Will not prevail. That's what some believe was transpiring there. At the very least, they were sitting together and he still made the same statement. Nothing will prevail. Not because of Peter, but because the rock, right? Jesus Christ, that would be who Peter would proclaim and he'd become a leader of the church and he would proclaim and become a very solid thing. But when we think about that, how ridiculous is that? If you know anything about the New Testament and some of us in here do and some of us don't, so let me explain it to you. Peter, Peter, and this would be to say something nice about him, was unstable, impulsive, and insecure at best. Uh, he, he reeks of those things. It's not like he has a moment here or there. He is consistently unstable, consistently impulsive, consistently insecure in some of the worst of ways. In Matthew 14, he ran out into the water and nearly drowned. In John 18, he impulsively tried to kill the servant of the high priest. In all four gospels, the recorded that he not only betrayed Jesus, but in eye shot of Jesus, he cursed Jesus. The rock, are you serious, Jesus? This is who you're leaving your church to? That just hours before that, he was like, surely you're not going to die? And Jesus had to literally look at him and say, get behind me, Satan. What is going on here? This guy is who you're going to say? That's right, because that's what the Lord does. He calls you, he declares who you are, and then he transforms you into the truth of what he said. Absolutely, that's who Peter would become. And if we had time, we would make our way through First and Second Peter, and we would watch right before our eyes the man that Peter became, the leader he became, the solid rock of the church that he became. You see, all Peter had to do was just simply be obedient. Time and again, even in the midst of his failures, resurrender himself and walk in the ways of the Lord. And the Lord would bring about the transformation of his life into who Christ declared that he was. And so you're like, okay, that's great, but I haven't heard, you know, heaven open up and for them to declare, Tim, you're no longer be Tim, you're going to be called Sam. There's a Sam in here. Sorry, you're a better Sam than me, I promise. But I, I haven't heard something like that, right? Well, you have. Matter of fact, you just sang it all morning long. Do you remember? We're called sons and daughters. Remember the passage we looked at last week in 1 John 3, 1? It says, see what great love the Father has lavished upon us. We, we spent a lot of time talking about that idea of lavishing love, that we should be called children of God. That we should be called children of God. And then there was this amazing, beautiful statement in there, right? This amazing, beautiful one. Hey, pull that up for me, would you, Kevin? So this amazing, beautiful statement in, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what it says right there? And it says that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. It was a definitive statement. You are a child of God if Christ is your Lord and Savior. Because here's the deal. People walk around all the time and they say, oh, we're all children of God. That's just a lie. I'm sorry, but that is a lie. We don't see that in scripture. We're not all children of God. Only those who have been saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ are children of God. Those that God called to himself before Christ and the people of Israel, those are the children of God. But to have a call 
and to receive that call, to step into that call, we can be called children of God. You become sons and daughters. That song we've been singing, God, you're so good, has that one line in there about being anointed and empowered anointed and empowered. When you were called sons and daughters of God because of what Jesus Christ did and your belief in him, you were anointed. The Holy Spirit anointed you with the power of a son or a daughter of God that the Holy Spirit indwells and fills. Let me read to you from Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Two years ago, we, we studied this. And it says this, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. How cool is that? That it's his pleasure and will to adopt us as his sons and daughters to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. You have been indwelled by the spirit, adopted as sons and daughters, declared sons and daughters, given all the rights and privileges of a son or daughter of the living God. Part of the reason why I had to go back to the West Coast this last week was to help take care of my mom and to do some things for her. And I found out that one of my other brothers had been working with her on setting up a will and doing some other things and getting her kind of life in order. And in, in doing that, I just, I sat in this moment where I just really realized that my mom has this incredibly generous heart that she doesn't have much, but she wants to bless her sons and daughters. She wants to give whatever she has left and just bless them because that's what a good father, a good mother, and she just wants to find a way to pour out and to lavish her love. And it made me just really think about this passage. The Lord loves us so much that he calls us into this belief. And then he says, you're my sons and daughters, and I anoint you with every spiritual blessing. I give you all that belongs to a son or daughter of mine. You have access to the kingdom. You have authority in the kingdom. You have power through the Holy Spirit in the kingdom. I give you spiritual blessings to use in the kingdom for my glory. You are my sons and daughters. But we have no idea how to act like sons and daughters. We have no idea how to live that out. We have no idea not to be bound to sin in our selfish nature, but instead to be bound to the father who loves us enough to give up his son and then bring us as sons and daughters. We have no idea how to live that. Can you imagine getting the keys to the kingdom? You did, so go ahead and imagine it because you got the keys to the kingdom. But you don't know what to do with those keys. What do I do? I got every spiritual blessing going in the heavenly realm. What do I do with it? He says, follow me faithfully and I will teach you along the way. I will transform you into the image of Jesus Christ who saved you. And I will teach you how to use and be a blessing, to use those spiritual blessings in other people's lives, how to love me and how to love others. And then in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, we find something else that's declared about us. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. 
A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We think when we hear that verse that somehow or another we got to become salty, or that which is preserves and gives flavor, and that suddenly we have to walk through the, the, the that it means, hey, uh, go walk through the world and just be a preservative and, and be flavorful, and that we have to be a light, and that we have to somehow learn like, to become that. Listen to the passage again. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You're not becoming, you are. You're not hoping, you are. It is declared that God the Father through Jesus Christ has made you the salt of the earth. You are the flavor that goes out, the sweet aroma of Jesus Christ that goes out into the world. You are that glorious individual. That's who you are. And, and you are a light unto the world that draws people and points them to Jesus Christ. Now look at the very end of that. It says that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You say, yeah, but I don't do a really good job. The Lord says, sit with me, be obedient, Learn from me, trust me, and I will teach you how to live in the truth of being the salt and light of the world. You are that, and I will teach you how to live in that truth. And you're like, aren't we just talking about semantics and words? No, it's so important that we understand that there is a declaration over our lives. And that we now get to live in that truth, learning how to be obedient to that truth, learning how to express that truth. We're not learning how to define it in our lives. We're not learning how to come up with what it might look like. He tells us all through scripture what it looks like. He tells us all through scripture what it's gonna look like to be salt to the earth. He tells us all through scripture what it looks like to be, earth, to be light unto the earth. He says, I'm going to make this transformation in your life. And you're like, okay, well, how does that happen? I'm glad you asked. Because I would like to say it happens because you do these 15 things. Or 15 is a pretty long list. How about if you just do these four things? And that really is our mindset in this culture. Just give me the three ways to do this, dang it. Just give it to me, man. If this is who I'm supposed to be, and God is this good God, give me the three steps to make it happen. Because I've got to get on to other things doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. He gives us his word of God, his word. And he says, read and let me teach you. Read. Know my character. Know how I interact. Know how much I love you. See how I've interacted with you. See the promises I give. See how I interact with nations who, 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 don't, who don't follow me. See, see who I am. Learn who I am. Let me teach you how to be who I've already declared that you are. So we have to spend time in the word, learning what it says, learning how to apply it. That's never a checkbox. That's where I get to spend time with my father. 
the, the, the sweetest moment I had in the last 72 hours was I got to the airport early in my flight, wasn't ready to leave yet, and had my son sitting in the car. And I said, hey, we got an extra 20 minutes. He said, all right. I go, I'm going to park the car and talk. <laughs> he said, yeah. And I just got to fill him with some great truth. Just 20 minutes. And I don't know what he remembers. 20 minutes. 20 minutes with the Father. Hearing his great truth about who you are and how to live in that truth. Scripture says, iron sharpens iron. So one man encourages another. Iron sharpens iron. We got to be together. We got to go to the things like the men's breakfast and that is not the end of what we do. For us to say that men's ministry around here is a breakfast is ridiculous. But there's going to be a man there who's going to talk about your identity in Christ, the things we're talking about today. There's going to be a man there that talks about how do you grow into the truth. There's going to be a man there who says, you know what? I was buried under the rubble flying at me, and I, I'm in a foxhole, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I never looked back. You got somebody that needs to hear that message? Bring them. How about us? Do we need to help each other with that message? Yes. How about the message? Don't quit. Don't relent. Be who God made you to be, the son of the living God. Salt and light to the world. When we're around each other, we challenge each other. We encourage each other. Look, we don't talk about life groups and men's breakfast and women's gatherings because we want to have more programs. Oh my goodness, I'm so tired of programs, aren't you? We do it because that's how we teach one another. That's how we show one another. That's how we challenge one another to live in the truth of what God's already declared about us. That's how we do it. And then we go live. Falling down on our face, scraping our knees along the way. Right? Men are acting with somebody. Hey, man, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden I'm like, uh-oh. Is that what the Son of God would do? <laughs> tell you what, on that plane, I wanted to tell that woman, hey, I got to preach in like six hours. Shut up. That'd have been a fun conversation, huh? But I really did have to stop and go, what, what would the Son of God do? What would Jesus do? <laughs> Put all my stuff down. Say, I got all the time in the world. Let's talk. Let's talk. It's not a three-step plan. It's a surrendering your life, being with the Father on a regular basis, and training one another. That's the plan. That's the plan. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you for declaring who we are. Thank you that we don't have to go throughout this life, and this relationship, wondering who we are, wondering what you think of us. You absolutely declare it, that we are your sons and your daughters. We are the salt and we are the light. And you are going to bring that about in our life. You are going to give us this amazing love for you in which your glory shines through us. Then we're going to look at your glory and your glory is going to rub off on us. And that is what is going to cast a light into the world that draws people to you. You're going to teach us how to use these incredible blessings, these incredible spiritual blessings and gifts and power that you've given us in heaven. Because you have declared who we are, because you are a good God that doesn't leave us wondering, but you declare who we are, and then you teach us how to live under that truth. So thank you, Lord. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.